Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Milsanda for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors. And I have another Harlan Brewing beer uh, today. I have Cranberry Fluff. This comes from that four-pack I got from my buddy Jeff the other week, and uh, I'm keeping it rolling here. I haven't tried this one, so I'm excited. There we nice. go. What are you rocking? I am rocking some shit called, what's it called? It's by Rip Beer Company. It's like R-I-I-P. They're local. Um, my parents got it for me for Christmas, actually, among among other things. And it is called a Stratocaster. There I am. Nice. Yeah, I like that logo and it there. Is a, it's a West Coast IPA. Sweet. And um, yeah, 100% Strata. I guess Strata is a type of hop, you know. So- sounds right to me. Sure. I never... <laughs> I never pay attention to hops at all. We made that reference a couple of weeks ago. We were like, and I'm drinking some shit with this hop. And then we acted like we knew what the fuck it meant. And it, we don't. I don't. <laughs> and we don't. I, 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 don't even, I don't even pay attention. I'm just like, is it good or is it not good? I don't really care what kind of hop it is. Just, just is it good? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay, is it an IPA, a double IPA, a hazy, a sour? Like, that's pretty much the generalizations I go by. And yeah. so this uh, cranberry fluff, it is an imperial sour ale with lactose. So uh, and it's a seven point five percent. So well, the the mick is conflicted on that one because it's a sour, bad, but has lactose. Good, right? It's it's, it's by Harland. Bad. Yeah. Okay. Harland, good. So it's uh, Harlan good. So we're really two good and one bad. It yeah. feels like, uh, you know, there's a balance. There's a shift there. And I think the lactose actually does ba- balance out the sour. It's not overly <laughs> sour. So it calms it down a bit. So it, it's, it's it balances nice. out the fact that sours suck. Yeah, exactly. Not a fan. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this it's is good. Less, I, I enjoy this. Less one. shitty sour. Excellent. All right. What'd you get into this week, my friend? What did I get into this week? I uh, I dr- dropped a cheat sheet on my computer here. That's what I was. I was taking a minute or two to prep. Yeah, man. That's I mean, big big prep moves for me. Um, so okay, the first thing I'm going to talk about is three protectors because it's a very nice extension of last week's topic. So last week I talked about how uh, I was thinking of things to talk about for these videos that I'm going to film soon. And then I talked about how I was fishing through for some ideas on big arc thoughts because, you know, you just never know when it's time to think about this stuff. And it was nagging at me, like really nagging at me. And, you know, sometimes you can just tell you're like, yeah, I got to knock this out or I'm going to knock this out, whatever it is. And so I just sat down and scribbled out all of my vo- uh, end of volume one arc thoughts. So as you as you uh, convince me three protectors should be three comics three you know 60 plus page small graphic novels that's what it's going to be but i i generally knew how the first one was going to go and i had loose ideas on the second one but it was time to firm those up and so i firmed those up sketched some stuff out and i was like you know, a lot of formative, uh, formative thinking, like I was talking about before, you know, that that really continued sitting around 
listening to jazz, driving, listening to like atmospheric death metal, just the stuff that clears my brain. Those two genres really clear my brain and allow me to to think. And I happened upon some stuff and I didn't want to write it down, but I got to this certain point where I was like, yeah, I almost need to tell this to somebody. So I called up Mike. And I was like, Mike, hey, uh, I, I got some ideas. I, I want to know what you think. And then I said them all to him. And he's like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. He's like, Dude, you know, hard parts writing it, but that sounds pretty good for now. We'll, we'll revisit that through the process. And uh, that made me think, like, let me bounce this by Lance. So I did the same thing. I wrote it. The, this time I wrote it all in a note to Lance and just said, here's all my ideas, blah, blah, blah. Lance came back and he said, yeah, I'm down with all of these things. Everything sounds really good. Here's what here's kind of a thing that's sort of interesting to me about the creative process. That then unfolded into sort of like I'm just going to call it like a half-assed idea for the volume 2 arc. So basically the the you know who knows how many issues 3 protectors is going to go. It started as an idea for like 3 comics and and I was like, "Well, okay, I'll 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 see, you know, I have this idea for maybe how the second arc could go cuz an idea that happens in the first arc definitely conveys that there's more to come so I wrote out that version I was like okay you know let's let's see how this goes and I go you you know I have to be vague otherwise um otherwise I'd just be blabbing stuff that may not even be complete and you know how protective of my ideas I am so I do that and I'm like yeah that works send that to Lance that was all part of my first email and then then I'm in the I'm actually in the airport with Eden because we're about to fly to fencing uh she had a fencing tournament this last weekend and uh, and then I say it all to her, and and this is this is now the third time I've said it. And as I do that, I had this realization that there's a much better idea for the second arc than the one I had just sent Lance. So I quick sent him a text. I'm like, you know what? I may even have a better idea right now for this second arc. Over the next day or two, I hatched that, and I like it so much more. It basically takes elements of what I had before, but totally twists them around into something that's pretty cool. So it's not it's not your typical sequel. Like, I have one Infinity Stone and now I need the other ones. It's more like something happens in the first arc that leads to a reaction thing that would happen in the second arc. So I like that a lot more. That at least I think makes sense at a large level. So it was really good. Like it was it was the the product of a lot of big thinking and sitting around and just working stuff out in my brain. And uh, as a result, I now have a strong direction for the second issue of Three Protectors and uh, and a strong direction for how the second, the third issue and the second arc are going to go. So uh, it, was pre- it was pretty great. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's great to have those productive weeks so far. This sounds really good. Very, very productive. A lot of stuff going on there. Uh, yeah. my, my first thing for the week was... I would say the most um, pressing would would be creating this this last page for uh, Second Shift issue twelve. So, uh, if you've been following along at home, Second Shift issue twelve is my Drawtober project from two thousand twenty one turned into a fully formed comic. And this year, I'm doing something a little different. I'm adding some stuff. I've added some panels. I've added some pages, and uh, I'm actually adding a full last page which acts as a cliffhanger to draw the reader in to want to read the next issue uh that's something that's a formula i like to do i think it is important uh for my books i think it's important for a lot of books it's not obviously 
a necessity, but it's something I like to do and it's something you guys out there might want to think about. It's uh, making, the wander, uh, making the reader want to read the next issue. So if your storyline, if it finalizes, if it ends, and is just a satisfying ending to that storyline, what might happen is your reader might go, huh, that was good. And then the next issue comes along and they're like, I think I'm good. Because there's a finality to it. Like they, the, the book is closed. You, you finish the storyline. There's no need for them to move any further. They liked what you did, but um, they're good. So instead of giving the reader that option, I like to take it away from them and go, look, hey, this story was over, but guess what? Here's a way more interesting story coming up. And that's what you want. You always want the next story to seem more enticing than the one that they just finished. So I do uh, have another page. It's a cliffhanger page that's it's like uh, another intro to a new character or... Uh, group of characters coming in to the storyline and they're important for a storyline that's coming up so uh there i'm currently drawing that page i had a rough of it i did quite a while back and honestly i couldn't find it i had it printed out in blue line i started inking it traditionally no clue where it is but i remember enough of it off the top of my head where i recreated it and, and obviously did it better because it was a few years back so my storytelling is a little stronger i have a lot more elements going on in there and uh, so far, so good. It's 75 cents or 75 cents. <laughs> it's, 70, it's only 75 cents. It's we're only in, 75 we're in 1975. Yeah, that's right. You're that's just that page, though, Keith. So oh, you okay. paid 75 cents for that page. <laughs> so it's a $14 comic. Goddamn yeah. right. That's how I do it. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a boutique book. And um, <laughs> so that's 75% done. And uh, it's moving along nicely. I'm very happy with it. I should have it finished. Before this weekend is over, um, as we're recording this, it's a Thursday, so I'll have it done well before Sunday, which is good because I got a lot left on my plate. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting to think about in terms of going comic to comic because or, or arc to arc, because as I think about what I did with Kadoja, volume one I think if I remember right, yeah, no, sorry. No, volume one definitely ends. And I do put something at the absolute end. <laughs> I mean, look, we're three arcs in now. So basically you have this first big climactic battle and uh, and Kadoja actually gets defeated. It gets shut down. And then you go to the other group of characters and the big cliffhanger at the end of volume one is more monsters are coming. So at least that gives you this little to your point lead in into volume two. And, uh, and and I think that's something that touches on this idea of, you know, it's not just the action, the big action scenes in your comic. And it's not just the big action panels. And it's not just figuring out what art to put on the page turn and what not. You know, all of this design of a comic, but also giving the reader enough to where they want to keep coming back. You know, that's... I mean, that's the number one thing. You know, I hear this all the time in the novel circles and it applies in the comic circles as well. You you always want a reader asking and then what happened? Because as long as they're asking and then what happened, you're good. And uh, to your point, if you have a, anything approaching a happily ever after or something that feels a little too sealed off, they may not ask and then what happened? Another interesting thing is, uh, boy, are you just invoking Claremont era X-Men right now? That's actually, you know, Claremont era X-Men. I think it was still Claremont up into the 280s. But I, I think I rocked that up through about issue 300 or so. 
And then I actually jumped off because like it, it was just too much. You know, my line at the time was for every one plot thread they resolve, they introduce three more. And I just can't keep up with all this stuff. It just keeps unfolding and unfolding and unfolding. And I'd like a little bit, uh, you know, I, I maybe a little bit less of that would be good for me. So I actually right. hopped off that bus because they were going so bonkers at that time with that kind of idea. Yeah, I like to make sure there's some closure. So it's like, you, you'll you get closure. You'll get that closure that you need from this story arc. But then there's going to be something else that'll lead you into the next story arc. So it's like, you know, you, you get a happy, happily ever after at the moment. So, you know, you, you, you get that taken care of. You get that out of the way. Give the reader that pleasure. But letting them know that, hey, your, your favorite heroes, they're going on another adventure pretty soon. And uh, this is the big bad coming along for that. And uh, so that's yep. what I try to do with this. Um, all right. Well, that, that leads in, I guess, to my second thing, which as, as a lot of things have, have been over uh, this, this last recent period, it, it's mainly housed in the novel. But I think there are some some things there that apply to, you know, not just prose, but obviously making comics, which is what we're talking about. So I, I was just rewriting. I'm, I'm editing. I believe I said my book is roughly 11 chapters. That's my I have 11 kind of distinct breaks chapters. And I'm on chapter four going into the beginning of chapter five. And I had this these couple scenes at the end of chapter four. I was just editing yesterday, actually. And uh, and I was going through it, and I'm like, you know, something's missing. Something's missing. There's there's not enough here. That's one of those great signs to yourself if you're reading something or watching something or anything. If your attention span is fading, yes, it could be you. It could. So the first question is, am I paying enough attention? Are you are you flipping on Facebook a little too much? Are you playing, you know, whatever games people play. I don't know. I only play Scrabble. That's the only game I play, but Angry Birds. I don't know. I haven't played a fucking game in 10 years that isn't Scrabble, so my (laughs) references are dated. As long as you're paying attention and there's something that's that's making you lose it, then then that there's probably fault somewhere in the writing. And so that's the kind of thing to keep an eye out for, not only in other people's things, but in your own things. And uh, and if your own if if you sense trouble, then then there's there's work to be done. And I did sense trouble in this little little kind of area of scenes that sort of, you know, not every scene can be the big scene. You have to have the scenes that stitch together and keep things moving along. And this was a couple of those. And I was just sitting there going, what what's missing here? What's missing here? And I invoked a rule that I've used more and more over this last six months to 12 months. And it's when in doubt character. And that's the way that I rewrote it, actually. I, I had my lead character do some reflections on some things in the context of that scene. You know how you know how we all do, especially when you're reading something. Uh, and this happens a lot in books. You know, somebody might see a, an orange and then you'll get a paragraph or two on what an orange means. You know, maybe their brother used to throw oranges across the yard at them or whatever and peel off the rind and put it in their teeth and pretend they were a heavyweight boxer. I don't know. But whatever it is, you get that reflection and then you come back to the present. Um, so I did something like that because character is always a good thing to lean on. And I would make the argument that character is a thing that people don't lean on enough in my own stuff, I first saw it in my own stuff, and I see it in other people's things a little bit more now, because once you see it 
you can't unsee it. That's what's great about this this learning process that we're all on. Um, a lot of times what people think they need more of is action or plot. And comic books do this a lot where it's just, oh, this thing might be missing. So I'm going to introduce another plot complication or another bout of action or something like that. And in a lot of cases, you're making it worse. You're you're putting an unnecessary complication in there that may lose the reader. So character, it, it, you know, it's kind of a an early, just something I hope somebody maybe uh, does because I know it's helped me a lot. Don't be afraid to make character one of those options because again, we usually reach for plot and for action on the shelf first when we're like, what does this need? What's it missing, etc. Um, but character is a valuable tool to have there. And in the long run, it tends to work better. And so it worked for me in this scene. And it's something that, you know, again, I think would could work for a lot of people when they're making their comics or their books. And it makes those characters feel more real to the reader. You know, the, if it, whether it be a book or a comic, the more you know about the character, their motivations, their their uh, fears, you know, whatever it is the about their childhood, all of that stuff helps dramatically when rounding these characters out. And this is something it's like an ongoing thread with, you know, what we talk about with Gary and and, uh, you know, the chips. You know, the, the more you know your character, the more you're going to just know what their favorite chips are. And and that's a great point. You know, something to yeah. lean on is is character. Yeah. And one one thing, too, if if anybody out there is still like, I don't know, like, where's a place I can see it in action? Jeff Lemire does a fantastic job of this exact thing. Two books of his. Um, one, I think, actually, Scott Snyder wrote and he drew A.D. After Death, which is kind of like a hybrid novel comic. But it is fantastic. And it does a lot of exactly what I was just talking about. And May's book, which just came out from him, drawn and written by him, also does a great job of that. So those are two good tactical examples of how that sort of thing exploration of character might be a better way out of an, a dead end than uh, exploration of something else. Yeah. And to, and to go back to Claremont, I feel like he leaned on character a lot as well. And that's some of the most uh, fascinating, most interesting part of X-Men lore is Claremont's run. It was just like, he leaned so much into character relationship and, and uh, you know, huge, huge part of that and uh, why it's so successful to your point. Yeah, man. And how about you? So that, that leads us to your second thing. Uh, so I had a couple of things that I had to actually draw. So um, I did the interior credits page. Like I talked about, I'm doing like title cards uh, for the upcoming hardcover. But I decided to do one for issue 10. And I realized I didn't have a back cover to issue 12. And so the back cover to issue 10, I actually use the Golden Age Daredevil. If you people aren't familiar with that. I've, I've talked about it a couple of times on this pod. You should look him up. He's super cool. Eric Larson uses him quite a bit. And uh, so, you know, I've been getting more and more into public domain characters. And so I've been dedicating and wanting to dedicate the back covers to those characters. The second shift characters teaming up with golden age characters. It's just something fun to do. I like um, covers that tell stories. You know, we, we mentioned a couple episodes back that the covers that we like to enjoy are the ones that kind of sum up what's going on in the issue in one way or another, tell a single, single story in a single, or tell a story in a single image. And I like to do that with these back covers. It's like, yeah, let people feel like there's something going on there, that there's a history there. And the more history you have to your characters, the, 
the more they feel real again to the readers out there it's like we're creating our own characters here you you expand the world as much as you can and the way you can do that is if you have readers out there that like public domain and they're familiar with these characters they go oh shit he drew his characters with with this character that i love you know that's been around since the 1940s um so i decided to do one for issue 12 and i was like okay i gotta knock this out of the park and i ended up doing the black terror which is another very popular public domain character uh, Alex Ross has recently done him for, I believe, Dynamite. Dynamite has done series with Golden Age Daredevil and the Black Terror. And um, so I was like, yeah, why not? He's another heavy hitter and gave gave him a go and I drew him on the back cover. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I just read the issue one. It wasn't very good of the Black Terror, but I love his look. His aesthetic is it's very pleasing uh, very reminiscent of Mr. Bones, uh, who was co-created, I think, with uh, Todd McFarlane. And uh, kind of has like a Spawn-style cape and skull and whatever. That's Mr. Bones. But uh, yeah, the Black Terror, go ahead and give that a Google. Uh, he's pretty cool looking. And the first issue, he has a sidekick. Uh, unfortunately, I do not remember the name of the sidekick. But it's very Batman 66. So it's very, you know, Adam West, uh, Dick Ward. Uh, you know, Batman and Robin. And the the there's a lot of stuff going on in there that's just, I was like, ah, that's not up to par. Or like, you know, but I've read quite a few Golden Age Daredevils and those do stand the test of time to me personally. Um, but he's such a well-known public domain character, I thought I would give him a go. And uh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty pleased with how the piece came out. Keith, I'll send it your way at some point this week. And, uh, yeah, I really like the way, way it came out, and uh, I knocked that out and uh, onto that page I talked about earlier. Yeah, I mean, that's that's cool. You know, I have a couple thoughts swimming in my head. I might, I might hold the second one. But the first one, you know, you talk about these one-page things that tell a story and how they give the readers a chance to maybe fill in the story, maybe expand it a little bit, maybe have it activate their imagination. Right. And uh, boy, boy, can I relate to that in one particular way. Clone which Wars. Is, huh? The Clone Wars. Oh my God. Well, you see, okay. So we might as well, <laughs> we might as well dive into this second. That's the second thing, but it was, oh, was Clone it? Wars. It was Star Wars. So people okay. can drink up. Okay. People can drink up. Maybe it's time. We haven't done a good Star Wars rant in a while. Um, but no, for me, like death metal, there will be some ideas that happen in songs or song titles where I was like, that is a cool fucking idea. And it gets my brain going. I'm, I'm not kidding when I say that I have three in different stages of formation, novel ideas that have come from heavy metal songs where I was like, that's a cool idea. I want to play with this idea and I want to see where it goes. We'll talk about them over beers, you know, uh, the next time we're hanging out because it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I, you know, there is a lot to be said for turning a little into a lot, which kind of gets us into the second thing and, and the Star Wars rant. So for you, I think it's Clone Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you explain to the listeners a little bit what you're talking about with that? Because it's going to line up pretty well with my version in the Star Wars universe. Go ahead. Right on. So we've talked about stories that shouldn't be told uh, that we've you know heard in in TV shows movies whatever the case is in a book maybe something was mentioned uh, a comic book you know Logan's origin or whatever the case uh, something for me growing up was the Clone Wars when Obi-Wan mentions to Luke 
oh, I, I fought with your father in the Clone Wars. So all of these images jumped through my, my head as to what that was. I got to create the story in my brain with just the mention of this. Um, and, and knowing that the other movie, like at that point, I think I watched the movies out of order. I think I watched Jedi first. So my brain goes, was there a clone of Yoda? Was Yoda fighting Yoda? You know, and, and, uh, there was a young Obi-Wan fighting young Obi-Wan or whatever the case. And so I had all of these stories in my mind, this, this story that I created. And then you see the Clone Wars movie and it was just not good uh, in my estimation. Like compared to what I created in my brain as a child, it, it wasn't good in comparison. So so when I say close, Clone Wars, that's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. And so for me, what I'm learning in real time is this is how I feel about Boba Fett. And, and you know, Gary, Gary Hodges gets an honorable mention here because we had a sort of version of this conversation through the week in, in the little chat. And uh, and yeah, I, I'm still trying to figure out my thoughts on Boba Fett. But the, the the closest I can come right now is I'm a huge Boba Fett fan. And it's weird to watch a series right now with a story about Boba Fett in it. Because what intrigued a lot of people, and, and I think what intrigued me now that I really unpack it, is that Boba Fett was always just a thing against a universe of infinite possibilities. And so to to go from that tapestry of infinite possibilities on Boba Fett, it's like, no, 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 Boba Fett, all he does is look cool. That's it. But the, but the best part about that is if all he does is look cool, you get to fill in all the story. And so we, as, you know, the hundred million nerds that love star wars or you know the one million that probably ride hard for boba fett we got to do all that we got to get the toy we got to fly it around and be like oh and i'm gonna do whatever boba fett thing i'm gonna do you know and and this is gonna be my adventure featuring boba fett on on a related note when i used to play with star wars figures the jawas were big heroes i i really (laughs) i really repped the jawas hard i had i had a couple of them and they were they were basically like saviors of the galaxy in in my (laughs) star wars universe why just curious. I, I, I don't know. I fucking love Jawas. They well, they had the they had the capes that were different. I guess that's probably okay. why. Everybody else had the vinyl cape, but they had and then like they the had cloth that... hood. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, there wasn't. Isn't there a version, or it's like maybe it's the later version when the 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 prequels came out? Didn't they have like a light box in their head where their eyes would glow? Like if you put put the sun in them, then yeah. their eyes would glow, right? I think you're right. I think you're talking about the redone, either when yes. they re-released the originals or something. But the yeah, power of the so, force. I don't I know. It, it was just something about Jawas or or you know all that stuff, right? So I think it comes back to this, you know, turning this tapestry of infinite possibility into the thing that exists and the thing that's canon and that that just limits it all of a sudden you took all that and you bottled it in a jar and by bottling it in a jar my i it's turning out that to me you're kind of eliminating ruining the essence of that you know um but you know one more creative thing which which i i remember from music and i used to do this in music which was always cool i i you know you read these articles with all these people and i remember i read an article with a musician where they said they used to go to the record store every Tuesday when records came out and they would pick up the new albums and they would look at them. They would look at the cover and they would look at the song titles on the back and they would absorb as much about that. And then they'd get an image in their head of what that album was going to sound like. And then they went home and made it 
You know what I mean? Like that's the part I thought was cool because the second you actually listen to the album, you, you, you eliminate the universe of possibilities into one specific reality. And so, you know, again, I don't know if there's a writing equivalent of that, but maybe this is where writing or drawing, drawing would probably be way cool because you could just think of something, draw it. Um, from writing, I think it becomes more about take an idea and then ask yourself where you're going to go with it. Maybe it'll maybe it'll spark your brain. And before you know it, you have this cool idea that kind of hatched out of another idea and went from there. I mean, to use a recent example, what you said or Gary said, I can't remember on that episode um, over the kind of Christmas New Year's break is that Barry Windsor Smith's Monsters was in, originally intended as a Hulk story, but it became Monsters. And that's what's cool about it. And that means if he can do it, then you can do it. You know, you can take some idea, just look around, pick a thing, turn that into a story. And then if you start twisting it around enough, you'll realize that once you remove the character that you started the idea with, you have a story. It's your story now, you know? So that might be a good way to address writer's block. It might just be a good way to keep your brain working. But um, but it's a pretty cool thing to do. And I think we all do it. It's just a matter of formalizing it. Yeah, and that's something you just brought up uh, not too long ago, like earlier on in this pod, where you hear a, a title of a death metal song or something like that, and you're like, hey, this sparked this idea. You know, just the title alone sparked an idea for you, and you create something based off of that. Um, you know, or going back to something like, we only find them when they're dead, where it's like, oh, you know, nowhere, you know, in the Marvel Universe, how it's a dead god, and there's a whole city. Hey, what? wonder how that happened how did that you know and then boom you yeah have, you know like our guess is that's how you get we only find them when they're dead you know like yeah. s- something as simple as that can spark an idea um that will create a whole new storyline and you just make it your own thing exactly and see we got we got so spun out of orbit there i almost forgot that we started this idea by you talking about a one-page action scene on the back cover of the second shift so yeah so pretty good <laughs> man we we managed to kind of spin out of orbit for a while there um, I have a small third thing and it involves, you know, like we get, we get to this part of the podcast and usually we're just catching up on stuff we did that maybe isn't as discussion worthy. So I got the inks to Kadoja number one back from volume four. Ooh. They look, they look great. I mean, it's, they still have to be gray toned by will, but they look awesome. I am very excited for it. And I don't know, maybe this is something you can relate to. I know from, in your case, because you're drawing this stuff and you're building layer on layer, I think when when you see, I'm going to guess that when you go from like pencils to inks, to you, it's more the actualization of an idea. To me, it is staring at one of those old school paintings from like the 90s and having it turn into a picture. You know, the, the difference between pencils where you can see the idea and go like, oh, that's cool. I like the idea of this scene. I just I like the basic anatomy. I like the basic poses. I like the basic landscapes to then have that go to ink. And you're like, oh, shit, this is the comic. It's it's a, a glorious step up from the point of view of someone who writes but doesn't draw because now I see your vision. Now your vision is crystal clear to you. It's just the actualization of a recipe. But to me, all I saw was ingredients on a table and now I'm eating the dish, you know, so I don't know, man, it was it was great to see. And I am super excited for gray tones and then, you know, my lettering and then we'll figure out when to put this thing in the world. I definitely get that feeling when I see uh, colors, 
So when Joaquin or Emily uh, Rocha from the Accidental Aliens, if she does the cover, she usually does the covers for Wanders for me. Um, she'll actually paint them. It's, it's kind of awesome. And uh, so when I get those in, I would I would think it's the equivalent to your feeling when you see pencils and inks come in. It's just like oh shit. So for me, it's like the pencil and ink part of the process. It's just a step to get to the final product. And then when I see the colors, it feels more real to me. It's like, oh, this this exists now. And then it's the only thing that's left to do is to throw the word bubbles and the indicia on the cover and all of all of those things, the back matter. Um, but, but once I see those colors, it definitely gives me that same feeling of like, oh my God, this is so great. Like this, look how he did this. Oh, Joaquin killed it. Oh, like, oh, I don't even think to do that. And, yeah. um, and that's how I know I don't have the colorist brain is because he'll just have ideas. And I'm like, I didn't even know, I didn't even know what this was going to look like. I didn't know how he was going to color it. And he just comes back with certain things. I'm like, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant way yeah. to handle it. I would never even thought of that. And that's why I'm not the colorist. Right. I'm the artist. <laughs> so. exactly exactly he's the dj and you're the rapper yeah there you go so my last thing is uh commissions so the the toy commissions are coming in i have two that i have to knock out um but thankfully i think the saga of finishing this mermaid commission is going to come to a close i've got final approvals on everything that i did the layouts and all of that and he likes it so what's left to do is to print it out in blue line and ink it traditionally and then uh, send it off to them and we're all good. So nice. uh, the, the stupid part was this was done last night. I had the blue line inks in my email. Uh, we went to Staples to go get it printed out. And as soon as we got there, I realized I didn't bring the paper. So I have to have them print this out on Strathmore paper, which is, you know, inker friendly. You know, like they, they don't have this stuff there at, at Staples. It's not what they do there. So uh, as soon as we parked and I started walking towards the store, mall, don't have the paper. When we turned right around and left. <laughs> I was just like, wow, you're fucking stupid. So, uh, what a nice yeah. drive. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> we uh, yeah, fucked off and, um, you know, I'll do it tomorrow. So, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's nice to know that this part of the process is uh, at a close and now it's just just refining the lines most of them are pretty much done adding some line weight and uh we're off how how high are we on the scale o meter in terms of how many scales you have to draw on this one <laughs> i would say there's 50 scales so it's pretty light in oh. scales okay. and the scale okay. is only 9 by 12 so it's not going to eat up too much time and uh yeah i'm happy about that it's a, it's a pretty fun piece it's a celtic mermaid giving herself a baptism and uh the uh, cool details that the commissioner gave me was he wanted a stained glass window in the background um with a priest i oh, dang it he was very specific um i forgot who it was but he was banishing the mermaid and um uh so it's like him on top of the rocks with uh, water splashing and the mermaid swimming away so it was kind of like that's the storyline is like the church doesn't like mermaids, and therefore that's why this mermaid is giving herself a self-baptism. Nice, nice. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's wild concepts. Trust me, it's but like it's 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 so fun to do because it's like no one's asking for this. Like besides yeah. this commissioner, it's like yeah. you're not gonna get this shit anywhere else. And he's just so yeah, totally. detailed with it. It's just yeah. it just it's just fun. It's like yeah, all right, you know, yeah, let's it's, do it. Yeah, why not? Yep. 
Rock on, rock on. All right, so that'll bring our weekly uh, escapades to a close. So our major topic, our main topic of this week is confrontation. Yeah, yeah, conflict, conflict, confrontation, etc. Um, this was the idea that I brought to Scott. So I guess my question to you, Scott, is do you want me to go first, uh, talk about the kind of thing that, that prompted this and what I want to say, and then you can approach it from an art level? Does that seem fair? Yeah, let's do that. You kick okay. it off, and then I'll know kind of more of what you meant, and I'll go with my uh, unprepared version of what I was going to say. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Uh, we 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 change we change hands on who's prepared and who's going to just kind of rhyme off the dome, so it's all good. <laughs> so what's what's prompted this is that the last couple weeks, um, number one, I've really gotten back into reading books again um, because I was busy in other ways through most of November and December, I read a grand total of two books over both of those months, which is an insanely low amount for me. I've read four books in the two and a half weeks since that have sprung me off. That's that's a little too high. I expect that it'll calm down, but basically I'm back in it with a vengeance. I've been reading a ton of comics with a vengeance. You know, like Scott and I were talking about last week, I really am going through the stuff I have. I'm not buying any back issues right now. Um, and I am making a nice dent in my collection, um, which is great. And, you know, there's there's still graphic novels to go, but I will feel very good if I can get through the next month or two and really, you know, I kind of have this dream of being caught up on all the current books, which would be amazing. Um, but in doing that, Especially, you know, obviously when you read indie books, you're going to hold yourself to different standards because indies, indie as an indie, the real indie books, um, not third party, are can be a bit all over the place in terms of, you know, they're not perfect, right? And and sometimes that's their charm, just like there's a charm to kill them all by Metallica. Um, but sometimes you get somebody's indie record that is no kill them all by Metallica. <laughs> and uh, just like you'll get an indie book that's not bone number one, <laughs> right? So... You know, to that point, a theme that's come up a little bit as like it's just come across my my reading eye a couple times in the past few weeks now. And it's been this. What I think is an error, this error that I'm seeing and, and in a couple cases, this is in a published author's book about conflict and how people, I think, are misconstruing the, the, where this started was people were arguing and someone seems to have thought that that was conflict, okay? Conflict is not arguing. Arguing is arguing. And uh, Scott does not know that I'm about to bring this up, but I think it serves as a great example, right? Because here's what, here's what conflict is not. Scott and I, after one weekend or one evening or something when we were hanging out, we threw back a few beers. I think it was our drunkest. I think we did a podcast on a couple <laughs> beers and then we even threw one or two more down. And the Lakers were in the playoffs at the time last year. And Scott and I got in, I would argue, our most spirited debate ever on the proper use of Montrez Harrell yeah. for, on the Los Angeles Lakers, right? And it was it was drunk bullshit, okay? That is all it was. And we were just, you know, like, look, we're two good friends. We're arguing. We're talking shit. Alcohol's involved. And it's, it's a spirited conversation. But what it was never at any moment is conflict, right? And, and here's the difference. Arguing is arguing. Conflict is about opposing goals and how they manifest in your behaviors and dialogue, okay? 
That's that's the very quick version of it. There was no point where Scott and I had opposing goals, and there was no point where any of our goals came in, in, in into conflict, right? Because he's watching a basketball game and I'm watching a basketball game. And that's about it. You know, he's coming at it from the perspective of a Lakers fan who is wondering why a, a certain player on their team is not being used. And I'm coming at it as a perspective of someone who who is familiar with his body of work and has a different point of view. There's still no conflict there. It's just arguing. And while you're never going to open up a, an indie book or a comic or a book and have three pages of people arguing about the use of a backup center on the Los Angeles Lakers, <laughs> a, a lot a lot of arguing is still the same thing. You know, when you have people that are just being argumentative to be difficult, that's not conflict. And and what I what I think I'm seeing on the other end is people wondering how to how can I spice up this scene? Well, I'm going to have people disagree. But again, that's not conflict. It's not goal-oriented. It's just people disagreeing. And as interesting as it might be for you to write at the moment, it's very boring to read because you can tell it's just rearranging deck chairs. Nothing is really going on here. It's just people arguing to make things seem interesting, but there's no real core thing underneath it. Yeah, I talked to you and Gary about a book. Uh, So I've been doing some reading myself so keith is doing basically two two comic books every morning and i'm doing one book uh every morning roughly and i'm like you know what i back all these indie books i back all these kickstarters and i never read them i just it's like do i like the art okay um the price point is acceptable shipping acceptable okay boom backed the book comes in i i buy so many comic books that Unfortunately, these Kickstarter and indie books, they just get filed away in my indie box and they never get read. Um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to change that today. I'm going to start reading them. And I came across an indie book. I'm like, this cover looks cool. It looks like it has a a story just on the cover. Like, okay, you could tell what the story is going to be or so you think. And you read the book. It has a nice little twist. The ending has a twist. And uh, but but the issue I ran into was there was no conflict in the story. Uh, there was there was battles, but there was no real conflict. There was no real strife in this character's life that made you go, this guy's life is tough. Like, there was nothing about... It was very vanilla. The whole storyline was him getting everything he ever wanted. He got, it, he got superpowers. He met his girlfriend and uh, at, at the lab. And uh, they got together and, you know, oh, he has to fight these villains or whatever. And there's one twist at the end. But it's like, yeah, but it still ends well. There wasn't one thing in the book that made me go, this guy's life sucks. Or like, this guy's down and out. There was nothing there. And, um, you know, whether it be emotional or physical, anything along those lines, it's like you, you need that to make it interesting for your story. Uh, something Ed likes to do is put the second shift characters through the ringer. He loves it. And it makes me uncomfortable because, you know, like I've said in, in, on this pod before, there are four, four different parts of my personality. I, I want to be happy. Therefore I want them to be happy. I don't like it when their life is hard, but Ed's like, we have to do this. So Ed will do what he does. He, he creates this, like, you know, we'll, we'll go over the skeleton of the story, you know, how we want, it to take place or whatever, and boom, Ed goes and does his work. End of the story, the conflict, the strife that the character is going through, it's resolved. 
but they have to go through it in order for the reader to be invested into the story. If their life is always great, then how can you ever really root for them? They're, uh, uh, what's the term? Is that is that a Mary Sue where everything is just like so easy and nothing goes wrong? Is, is that right? I have no idea. I, 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 I knew there was a website called the Mary Sue. That's the only thing I know about the phrase Mary Sue. Well, that's uh, the first time I ever heard of it was when people were talking about Ray from The Force Awakens, how she's just good at everything. Everything comes very easy to her and, mm. you know, she can beat everyone and she's the best. And so and and I don't agree with this, obviously, like, yes, she's shit. Shit seems to come a little bit easier for her, but it's like, OK, she grew up as an orphan on a desert planet where people are fucking awful. So she's going to be tough. Yeah. So. Yeah. So anyway, regardless of that. Um, and she's a Mayor Ray Sue. <laughs> Dude, people, people, look, party people, you'd better be drinking up because I know we may have gone like two episodes without a Star Wars reference. We are completely making up for it. Yeah, we are catching up. So, yeah, yeah, so that's that's the thing. When when you have just too much good shit for your character, they're good at everything. They're Mary Sue's. That's that's the term. I didn't make it up. I'm I'm not that familiar. So, hey, write in uh, making comics podcast at gmail.com if we're using that wrong. But that's that's as far as what I understand it is. And uh, you don't want your characters to be that. You want they need yeah. some conflict. They need uh, to struggle. The struggle is what makes a story interesting. Yeah, and and here's what's interesting to me. Without knowing it, we have touched on a point you made a couple weeks ago, and it's when you were talking about Hallmark movies versus romance movies, because what you have just described about this indie comic is exactly how you described Hallmark movies. There's no real conflict. There's no real anything. The big problem is that, you know, you walked my dog without my permission. Oh, now we can make up and it's fine. That's not conflict. That's not anything. Right. And and what makes those different from like traditional romances is because there are real obstacles there. I'm not a romance fan, but, you know, I know a few. And uh, and that's the thing when you have these real obstacles in the way and therefore real conflict. Um, so to that point, I think, you know, the, the question I mean, we've talked about what conflict isn't. So I think it's only fair to give a little bit of a thing on what conflict is, right? Conflict, again, there's a bunch of different ways of putting it. I scribbled something down and I said, you know, it, it's, it's not only what it is, but how you make it good. Conflict is about two characters, essentially, or more, wanting different things in every scene, right? In everywhere you go, there needs to be an element of people not wanting the same thing or about one person wanting something and getting and something getting in the way of that want. That is that is the essence of creating a story that has some degree of tension and and you know uh, dynamic to it. And you know we can talk about this at a high level and it sounds it's pretty simple, right? I mean, this is this is the floor this is the blueprint. You have you have a character that wants something. You have obstacles that get in the way of what that character wants. So you have a couple things that are already packed into what I just said. Number one, you have to make what that character wants interesting. And then you have to make the obstacles interesting. And if the obstacle is a person, you need to make that person interesting. And this is something that really applies a lot in comic books. Not not something I planned on talking about this episode, but I think it really applies. That last part, if your obstacle is a person, you make that person interesting. 
something that I am not a fan of, that's a pretty easy thing to fix, is a one-dimensional villain. Um, when you have villains that are just blah, 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 because evil, because blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's that's boring. You know, I, I, I'm going I'm to give people two seconds here. Think of a villain you find interesting. Odds are that that villain has some degree of empathy or a story that you're aware about that makes you relate to them. That's, again, that is about making the obstacle, which is the villain, not one-dimensional because you're making the obstacle interesting and by making the obstacle interesting, you're making the hero's want or the protagonist's want also interesting. And if, you know, we didn't say you have to like them. You have to make them interesting and you have to make them sympathetic. And so to me, the gold standard of a villain is always like, yeah, I could sort of see where they're coming from there, exactly. you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think the Marvel, the MCU really nailed a lot of this with Thanos. The fact that, that they have a hilarious prop in a lot of these Marvel shows now, that's, that's a mug that says Thanos is right. Thanos was right in the Marvel universe. There are, there are plenty of awesome examples here, okay? But this is a comic podcast, and I think we all get that touchstone as as a reference. Um, that you have, again, you have a villain that's interesting, that you can empathize with, even if you don't agree with them. There's a There was two that came to my mind automatically. Uh, one was a comic, and one was MCU. Uh, th- uh, next to Thanos, the next most interesting villain in the MCU to me is Killmonger. Mm-hmm. His motivations were so clean. It's like, that guy killed my dad. And not only that, you guys are selfish. You guys got all this technology. You guys can be helping the world, but you're not. You're just choosing to keep it to yourself. Just so such a clean reason to do what he's doing. You don't like how he's going about it, necessarily. Maybe you do. Who knows? And then the comic book version, uh, Magneto. You know, it's just like his parents were uh, uh, internment camps, you know, and and he sees how humans treat mutants, how the Germans were treating the Jews. So it's just like you get a clear comparison to why he is the way he is and why he thinks the way he thinks. It's just Absolutely. so clean. And you can identify with both both sides of the argument. And that that's where the conflict with those characters, with uh, Black Panther versus Killmonger or Professor X versus Magneto, you go, yeah, I understand why. Where Prof- Professor X is, the pure, you know, like this, no one should have to suffer. Like, but Magneto's argument is, someone's gonna suffer, and it's not gonna be us. Mm-hmm. So, exactly, and and I think. I, I hope I get this right, Scott. If if I'm also going to turn to the MCU for one, I think skews a lot closer to the one-dimensional thing. Because while we'll never talk about other comic properties, we can talk about movies. Everybody talks about movies, <laughs> you know. Um, is Ronan from the first Guardians of the Galaxy film, who is essentially one-dimensional. Like, you know, I'm here to ravage the Earth because blah, 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 evil, blah. You know, and it's like that's that makes them not jump off the page as much or off the screen as much because they just seem to be doing evil for evil reasons. Although I will give, I I love Ronan because he looks just like a Norwegian black metal musician. (laughs) I think he was a xenophobe. I think he hated everyone that wasn't a Cree. Mm -hmm. That That was his thing. He just wanted to wipe the earth of anyone that wasn't his race. Was that in the movie and I missed it or are mm-hmm. you putting that in there? I can't Yeah, remember. no. Yeah, yeah, it was in the okay. movie. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. But but I, I then that's why I said it's not it's not a perfect example because you would never get a villain like that in the MCU because there's too many people with eyes on it. But I think it skews more toward the one-dimensional less sympathetic villain than some of the other villains that I think like Killmonger like Thanos, you know. Yeah. Uh, it it was it was touched on um in a couple of scenes but it wasn't something you were that was left hanging there. You know what I mean? So it was mm-hmm. easily missed, but um, you know, like I'm glued to the, like when I'm in the theater, I'm just glued to the screen staring at it. And I've seen that movie like legitimately 30 or 40 times. Like it's yeah, just something yeah. that's on in the background. So I'm very familiar with it, but I, I see exactly I've only seen what it you four. mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I would say the closer equivalent is, uh, the villain from Thor, the dark world. Oh, um, yeah. The dark Mal- Malekith. Yeah. Malekith was like evil for evil's sake. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the the only thing I enjoy that's that's pure evil is is the little rock of evil in the movie Time Bandits. I don't Do know. Do you know reference. what I'm saying? No, Fuck, no, dude. Have you ever seen Time Bandits? <laughs> no. Uh. Uh-uh. Next time I'm up there, we gotta watch it then. Dude, it's amazing. There's a part at the end where a villain gets gets dissolved down into this nasty lump of coal. And then, like, I'm, I'm spoilers, uh, but it, but it's like 37 years old. Um, there's a part where, like, it, it, it's basically like kind of a Wizard of Oz thing where there's a parallel reality. But then okay. back in the reality, the villain dies and he gets turned into this little lump of coal. And then the kid is looking at his parents, and the parents are are like staring at the lump of coal. And the kid goes, "Don't touch it! It's pure evil!" <laughs> right? And then the parent just goes, "Boop!" And then they fucking explode. <laughs> anyway, uh, amazing, 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 awkward nineteen uh, eighties film. Yeah, Time Bandits, people. Um, so anyway, I, I think one final thing. I did I have this in here? I think I think actually that's pretty much it. Um I'm looking I'm looking at my notes on the screen here and I think I covered everything. So again, it's conflict is it's easy to fake, but it's it's harder to do. And the hard work is going to pay off. So for me it like in terms of closing, again, conflict is not arguing. Conflict is not empty empty and pointless. It isn't people going back and forth for for you know to to make things prolonged you know like there was a novel i read where they kept on prolonging conflict by having a person always go like well what are you saying and it's like that's a filler line man you could just cut that line entirely so why even have it you know when you have anything like what do you mean by that what are you saying blah 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 yeah you probably just cut that line and no one's ever going to be worse for the wear so anyway i i hope that helped did you have anything else you wanted to talk about yeah, I, I think I, I touched on it too, and and I'm hoping I get this right. But in Second Shift Twelve, um, you know, it's it's Light Shower, the the leader of the Second Shift, versus uh, Maestro Mentallo, and he gets put through the ringer. You know, it's just like it's not a physical battle in the same sense like a, as a regular comic book fight would be. It all takes place in Light Shower's brain. It's all in his head because Maestro Mentallo. Uh, that's that's his thing. Uh, he's a, he's a telepath, so he's torturing him mentally throughout the entire issue, and it leaves John in in a place worse for wear at the end. So he it's a different type of conflict uh, in the sense that I put the like going off of Ed's lead. I I'm like yeah we got to put the characters through the ringer, so they're not perfect and shiny at the end of this. 
it's just like they they have to be damaged in some way and how are we going to do that so i put john through the ringer in this episode or this issue and at the end he's he's there looking at his hands like what what just happened i don't understand what's going on and he's going to be affected by that in future issues it's it's not something that's over now and that's what that's the difference between a um a battle a fight scene and putting your character through real conflict through real strife you know put the put your character through the ringer don't don't be afraid to get your hands a little dirty with these guys you know it's at the end of the day there's the the that magic reverse uh wacky button that comics has you know eventually you can get your character back to where you want them to be you fuck them up for a while mess them up let them be and that's going to make them more interesting as a character overall so uh you know just do it don't don't keep your stories too clean um put your characters to the ringer that's my advice yeah yeah and actually one final final thing is that conflict can be big and small you know we're we do comics and comics tends to have you know this used to be a gag i used to order comics through this mail order service out of tennessee back in the 90s and what they would do is they would there was no previews at the time so they'd take the listings and then or there was and they would just do their own newsletter and they'd rewrite everything and anytime they had the universe hangs in the balance they put it all in caps because every the universe always hangs in the fucking balance it seems like and you could you know back to the mcu you could make the argument that a lot of reason people get fatigued is because how many times is the universe going to be threatened for crying out loud you know so conflict doesn't always have to be you know earth is going to be destroyed it can be something else i just read a really good book called apples never fall and the conflicts are all at an interpersonal level it's like are our parents lying to us you know what are we not being truthful to ourselves about what are our individual things it's a very you know earthbound wonderful you know uh piece of fiction and it proves that conflict doesn't have stakes don't have to be high and conflict doesn't have to be enormous for it to still work nice man all right so that's going to be the uh, making comics portion of this podcast and i got some stuff to talk about at the end here because man we did take a break and boy am i off of that break i have been buying comic books left and right off of ebay like oh. it was going out of style <laughs> Well, look at look the fuck at you. Let's hear about it. Let's hear about it. <laughs> so I mentioned to you about the Ghost Fleet uh, from Dark Horse. It's a uh, 2017 book. It is Donnie Cates and Daniel Warren Johnson. Um, I got them. I got all four. Oh. So we looked it up. We were talking on the phone. Uh, there's a trade paperback. It says it collects one through eight. Uh, yeah. As far as I can tell, uh, five through eight don't exist in single it's one comic. Through four. Yeah, okay. so yeah, so 5 through 8 I think was just a uh, uh, like uh, OGN essentially. So yeah. they did 1 through 4 in single issues and then they just skipped to OGN for the rest because yep. I can't 5 through 8 uh, find 5 through 8 anywhere. So but I was able to get a complete set and I'm very happy with it. It was very reasonable. Um I wasn't able to find that other book um by Donny Cates. Uh it's another Dark Horse book uh and I'll, I'll look it up later. But, yeah, so I'm very happy about that. I managed to also get a couple of other issues of Daredevil, the Golden Age Daredevil, like I talked about. And, uh, yeah, so I'm just trying to finish up that run. I don't know if that's going to ever happen because they're insanely expensive, but, uh, you know, a little bit at a time. Yes. Well, I didn't buy shit, son. So, uh, so yeah. Oh, nice. I, I mean, I do, I do have something I want to talk about. 
And in fairness, I am going to buy shit because, but it's not going to be, it might be some comics. It might not because as we record this, I'm only two days away. You know, look, I, I have a pretty busy schedule, so I sort of have to plan out fun <laughs> when I want to do fun. And something I'm going to do that's fun is, I think I mentioned casually that I, I, I am a fantasy football champion. I got a pretty sweet amount of coin. And the way that I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to keep some in the bank and just use it to buy gas, basically, and, and you know, eat. But, uh, but I'm going to take a chunk of it and I'm going to go to Amoeba Music and I'm going to treat myself. And uh, Amoeba Music not only has, as I mentioned before, uh, incredible record selection, it also has a ridiculous graphic novel selection. So I have a few things there, very specific holes that I'm looking to fill. I don't know if I'm going to get too impulsive, but uh, I'm going to go there and, and hopefully do that. But as a result, yeah, I just haven't been in much of a space to buy new comics. I've been in the space to to read the ones I am I already own. Um, but I do have something I want to talk about. I, it, it's just a goofy thing. Which is that, uh, so I, I got my Shaw Brothers Shaw Scope box set. Yeah. And I had talked to my kid about it, and she was like, I would like to watch Kung Fu with you. And I'm like, okay, cool. And it seemed like a great idea. Which and one? Then, what's that? Which one? Uh, well, we were going to watch whatever the first one was. I think it was called <laughs> Dirty Dirty Boxer or something like that. Which we, well, kid? She, oh, Eden. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eden, Eden, because that's that's who I was with uh, in, in fencing. Um, oh, okay. And, you know, one of them's already back in school and the other one's about to go. So if anybody's going to like Kung Fu, it's probably Eden. So um, so I was talking to her about it. She's like, yeah, that sounds cool. And just based on title, I asked her which one she wanted to watch. She was like, how about, she was like, how about Five Deadly Venoms? And I'm like, how about nice. Five Deadly Venoms? So, dude, we were all queued up to watch it. And then we landed in at home and we had like four errands we had to do. Ah. And then it, And then it was just gone. And then school was the next day, and fencing was the next day, and school was the next day, and now I'm not sure we're ever even going to sit down and watch that damn film. But I had some time, and I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to watch something. I bought this goddamn box set, I'm going to watch it. So I'm, I'm home by myself, I queue up this first book, this first um, movie. I start watching it. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's not as good as Five Deadly Venoms, but it's Shaw Brothers. It's fine. And then my wife comes home and she just sits in my studio and she's just sitting there watching it with me. I'm like, you want to watch this with me? She's like, yeah, because because when we when we were dating, this is how I knew she was special. She uh, she agreed to watch both Five Deadly Venoms and uh, Five Element Ninjas. Uh, with me you know we were just nice. sitting there watching watching campy movies and stuff she also watched uh black belt jones which oh, nice. is one of my favorite black exploitation movies of all time and the origin of my band's name big pimp jones i got it from black belt jones so we're uh i was i was watching this movie and then uh <laughs> and then my wife just turns to me and she's like this isn't very fast like the kung fu isn't very fast mm-hmm. and i was like well you know yeah it was uh it was like 1971 so so things really aren't as fast. <laughs> yeah. And then a couple other minutes go by. She's like, yeah, I'm really, I'm really surprised by how slow it is. Like, this isn't like Bruce Lee or anything. I'm like, well, you know, you know, babe, like nobody's really Bruce Lee, you know? And, and yeah. again, this is, this is older Kung Fu. So it's more of the origin stuff as opposed to the modern day Donnie Yen, Jet Li, you know, stuff. I mean, like anything, you know, there, there is no Michael Jordan without Dr. J and there is no Donnie Yen without Shaw brothers. And so it's, it's, you know, we're always standing on the shoulders of the giants before us. And so, you know, again, then, then a couple other minutes go by 
And then she she makes another comment. I'm like, how about I uh, how about I just turn this off and put the clippers on, yeah? <laughs> like, <is that> cool? <laughs> you know. And uh, and she was like, yeah, 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 that's fine. And and what I really realized, I, I think, in a weird way, I realized accidentally that it's sort of you know, I, I'm more of a kung fu connoisseur. I think. I mean, I don't. I am not a kung fu expert by by any means. But I was I was just talking to somebody about this this exact thing, and I was saying. I'm going to make a heavy metal analogy because I think that's helpful. You know, like I love Metallica and a lot of people love Metallica. And I'm a certain age, right? I'm 50. But the thing is, people who are about 56 to 61 who also like Metallica. So when when Metallica first hit, I was in my early teens. But these people would have been eight to 10 years older than me. And so those people... They like these bands like, you know, again, if people know them, then then that's great. They like bands like Uriah Heep and they like bands like UFO. Look, everybody likes Black Sabbath. Everybody knows who Black Sabbath is. But there's these bands from like the mid 70s that were heavy metal before heavy metal even existed in a lot of ways. And so what I really understood then is that the Shaw Brothers have a lot of this, you know, UFO, um, Uriah Heep vibe to them. Where, don't get me wrong, the, the movies where they do all the cool mystical stuff, like Five Deadly Venoms, and they just start to go over the top with both the costuming and with the, like, the story, I think those appeal to everybody on a lot of levels. But this one was very, like, Earth-based. Like, a guy goes to the market, and then they get in a fight, cause, and he can't get a job. And then someone offers him a job, and then he ends up fighting again. It's like, it's very, it's very rural, and it's very, you know, it's very feudal China, right? Like, that's what these things are. And so there's not a lot of, like, element of the fantastic. And then you focus on the Kung Fu. But again, the Kung Fu is heavy metal before heavy metal. And uh, and then that that kind of made me realize that, yeah, you know, like you can you can like the current stuff without really having that much of an interest in the old stuff, just like you can read current comics without wanting to enjoy Golden Age comics. You like Golden Age comics for for the reason of, okay these are the people that came before us and these are the trenches that were dug for us a long time ago. So it's interesting to you, just like Shaw Brothers probably holds more interest to me than people who are more healed in common kung fu without really loving the the, yeah. the earlier shit i would say yeah that's the difference between a legitimate kung fu fan and a casual movie watcher mm-hmm. so i i think that's more of or honestly that situation you described it's like she likes kung fu casually but mm-hmm. she wasn't there she was it wasn't her thing when she was a kid she wasn't young sitting there watching it like i'm all about that shit i'll watch the slowest of flow shit but yeah. it's because I'm a Kung Fu fan. I, I watched yeah. Kung Fu when I was a kid. I appreciate that shit. It's just like um, us or a, or a comic fan watching the MCU and seeing all the little Easter eggs. I guess MCU isn't the best example because that seems to be universally loved in general as MCU. But there's things that you appreciate more uh, as a comic fan. You're like, this is from this storyline. This is why this is what's going on. I think that's where the deeper appreciation for the older Kung Fu movie comes in. It's just like, you can appreciate it because you've been there longer. You're, you're the comic fan of Kung Fu movies. You know what I mean? You've been there, you've been there a while. Exactly. Or, or like, or like to maybe use an MCU example. Yeah. Everybody likes the MCU, but when I was younger, I watched Spider-Man and his amazing friends. That was the fucking MCU back then. Yeah. You know, and, the uh, whole and then TV obvi- show. 
Yeah, or in or in the '90s when the X Men cartoon was there. I think that was the '90s, right? Like all that stuff, right? The 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 earlier stuff that that paved the way for the later stuff. Anyway, it was mm-hmm. it was a valuable life lesson. So I'll, I'll know for for maybe five deadly venoms. I call the whole family in, but when it comes time for yeah. uh, the the ones that don't have the curb appeal, appeal, maybe maybe I watch that on my own. And also, it's like a a mind state too, because like for instance, uh, the Planet of the Apes movies, the old ones. I don't know if that's for everyone, but it's for mm-hmm. me, for sure. Like, I can, it's very slow, it's very deliberate with everything that it's doing, and that might not be for everyone. And, and honestly, the older movies, a few of them, they're just fucking bonkers. Like, like mm-hmm. this is, shit's crazy. Like, what, uh, you know, mo- the casual fan might go, this is dumb. I don't yeah. like this, let's turn this off. To me, I'm like... This is fascinating. What was yeah. the what was what were the writers thinking? Number one, and what were the directors thinking when they were putting yeah. this together? Like totally. to to me, it's fascinating. So it's just yeah. a matter of taste, and uh, you know your taste may vary. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, dude, you watch Super Inframan with me. That's one of my favorite movies of all time, right? I can't get enough of it. The parts mm-hmm. that are great are great, and the parts that suck are great. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's how I feel about it. Same thing. It's fascinating. All the choices are fascinating to me. So, again, I, you know, it, it's it, to your point, it's taste, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and there's there's no right or wrong. There's simply preference. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, exactly. but, uh, but yeah, good shit. Good shit. You got anything else? Yeah, man. I, so, I, okay, what's been driving me insane since I did the move over here. So, I have the comic room. And it's where I do the pods. It's where all my comic books go, where all my art stuff goes. And um, I've been missing stuff. I I didn't know where things were. Things were completely unorganized. Um, I don't have enough of these bins to put all my books in, so it's harder to find stuff. And I have a lot of short boxes that run along two giant walls of comic books. So I I was like, "I, I can't do this anymore. I need to find out where everything is. So over the last couple of days, I've been going through and organizing them and just finding where certain issues were. And speaking of Ronin, uh, Frank Miller's Ronin that he did for DC Comics a few months back at this point, I actually found issues one and three at SoCal Comics for very reasonable. I think it was a dollar over cover price, something Mm. like that. I was like, that's wild. This is only like, I think cover price is like, Maybe two dollars or two fifty. I, I I don't know because it's like double sized or whatever. I think I paid three fifty for them or four dollars. So I was just like, wow, that's it. Okay, I'll I'll take these. Not a big deal. Boom. So I get one and three. I was going through my boxes and I came across Ronin number two, and I was like, oh shit! I found this at Zia Music when I did that road trip up to Utah and through uh um uh, Nevada with, yeah. with my buddy Ramel and Ian. And I was like, oh, shit, I forgot I had this. So I actually have the complete set of uh, Ronin from Frank Miller. So that Dude, was that, that was is, really cool. That is amazing. Remember, I had that happen, too. It was like the low, low woods or something like that. I had I had one through five and I needed six. And I not only found it in Philadelphia um, last summer, I I found it for a quarter, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like, and it was the only one they had. They didn't have the other issues of low, low woods. They only had the one I wanted and it was a goddamn quarter. Yeah. You know? So boy, though, I mean, those moments are the ones you remember. I'll probably remember that in 10 years as opposed to all the other shit I buy. And I just forgot that I had already had it. And it just so yeah. happened. SoCal only had one and three. I was like, well, these are great prices. I'll buy one and three. I'll find two yeah. later going through my boxes. Like, holy shit. I already had two. 
and and I did get it for one dollar. I got it for one dollar in the dollar bins yeah, at, at Zia. So I was just serendipity. Like, Serendipity. Yeah, it was cool. Fuck yeah, man. That's great. <laughs> and everything's organized now. I know where everything is. So I, I feel yeah. it, it's like once you organize your books, like I was feeling I'm like, where the fuck am I going to put all these books? I'm buying book after book every week and uh, I'm running out of space to put them and going through the boxes that go across the top of these these cabinets. There's more space there. And I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, now that I organize it, I actually have more space in this box and this box. And then once I finish reading one, oh, it can go into this. This is my third-party book that's not Image Comics. This is my Image Comics book. This is my or box. This is my Marvel's box. So it's like, wow, everything has its place now. And it and just makes so much easier. So I'm so much happier now that everything's organized. It still looks insane in here, but at least I know yeah. where everything is. Yeah, plus you can buy more shit now because you know you have more space. That's right. So I'm doing nonstop like a fucking moron. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we're over the hour here. So we're going to bring this episode to a close. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Keith underscore Invader for Invader Comics. We have, let's see, Dr. Crow is uh, is out and that's volume one trade. And by the time this comes out, I think our Kickstarter for Freaks and Gods issue number five is going to be out. And to that point, we're going to have Chris Dreyer from Freaks and Gods on the podcast next week to talk about uh, a topic that he and Scott both share a love for. So I'm really excited to dig into that. Um, and then you can also find me at Kidoja Kaiju. That is all one word. Giant Monsters meets HP Lovecraft. Two separate handles. And I do my best to update them both. And you can find my comics, The Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans at AccidentalAliens.com. I also have other books there, uh, The Accidental Alien Anthologies 2018 and 19, and along with Tales from the Mothership, uh, our 2020 anthology series uh, that started in 2020. It's going to be continuous um, at some point. Nice. KeithRFoster.com is where you can find my shit. You can find a Kadoja store. You can find a web page with some information on Kadoja. There's some blog posts and there's some stuff on music and it'll be getting built out as well. Um, so not only is Kadoja Giant Monsters meets HP Lovecraft, there are four, count them, four soundtracks to it. And uh, my band, Big Pimp Jones, has done a ton of music. We're going to be doing music to Three Protectors. We've already done it, actually. And we're really excited for all that. So that's something I don't talk about as much as I should in the same sentence. But, you know, all my books, all the all the Keith books, uh, have their own soundtracks. And we've been doing that for a decade. So, uh, yeah, man, you can buy the comic. You can listen to the music. You can do both at the same time. Um, there's a lot of options there. Yep, and we do not have a Patreon, so if you want to support us and support this podcast, that's how you do it. You pick up our comics on our websites, and that's how you say thank you to us. Not only that, you can uh, go to makingcomicspodcast.gmail.com if you want to tell us how awesome this podcast is, how much you love our books if you have picked them up, uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, and uh, or you, you have an idea for a topic for an episode. You want us to talk about a certain thing we haven't mentioned yet or just touched on a little bit, and you're like, hey, that would have been the we only find them when they're dead version of that topic. So you touched on a little bit. Why don't you expand? Uh, making comics podcast at gmail.com. Yep, and we appreciate the comments however they come in. They do fuel what we talk about. 
in in a lot of cases. Um, so it's it's always good to hear from people at our various ways uh, to contact us. And speaking of various way, well, okay, you can't contact us, but you can rate us. You can go on Apple Podcasts and you can throw us five stars. You can say, "My God, these two guys are awesome." I love. I I want I want a word for word retelling of Keith and Scott's drunk Montrez Harrell discussion, <laughs> and maybe maybe we'll try to recreate that in the playoffs. Although unfortunately he doesn't play for the Lakers anymore, so we'll have to reenact it with different different basketball players. And but, the Lakers um, will probably not make the playoffs. This year. <laughs> There's that too. We're gonna we're gonna both be watching the playoffs. Like wow. The Sixers and the Lakers aren't in the playoffs this year. What the hell is going on? Uh, So anyway, um, yeah, yeah. You can throw us uh, five stars. Please say some words on Apple Podcasts. I'm not even going to mention Spotify because it's a riddle I just can't solve. (laughs) Yes, that is our other way to support us. So not only buying our books, but support us by leaving us those five stars. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. And we out. And what do we say when we're leaving here, Keith? Yeah, yeah.